On your first trip across the pond, you experienced all sorts of extremes. Going from New York City to a tiny town in Arkansas, traversing the Golden Gate Bridge, and then going to a tiny border crossing in Texas. And though what you experienced was dramatically different, you went back home with a new outlook. How and when it happened, you cannot be exactly sure. But from that trip until now, you always see the proverbial cup as being half full. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of Exchange Stories. I also wore my kilt in NYC. So we'd had a Sunday going about the city and touring around and looking about. And I thought, wow, this is great. This is fantastic. It's such a cosmopolitan place. It's so bright and vibrant. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put on my kilt and then go walk downtown for a bit. And I did. And I stumbled across uh, a big, very colourful, very loud, very bright Pride March. And I went straight from thinking, hey, I'm going to stand out in a crowd here, guy in a skirt walking down Fifth Avenue to, you know, hey, I'm absolutely blending in. There is nothing remarkable about me at all. This week, biking on the Golden Gate Bridge, walking the halls of Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, and learning how others see you. Join us on a journey from Scotland to the United States and lessons in positivity and courage. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that's what we call cultural exchange. Yes. My name is Alistair Ross, and I was advising clients of the law firm on UK politics and the UK Parliament and government, and also government in Scotland as well. And I took part in a program called the the official title was Current U.S. Social, Political, and Economic Issues for Young European Leaders. I think the whole trip was, from my point of view, fantastic. Maybe challenged some of the perceptions of the unconscious biases that I'd, I'd developed over time. I, I found it fascinating to contrast the US with the UK and Europe, which is where I've had the bulk of my, my experience, but also within the US, contrasting different cities and states and parts of the US. So just the contrast between East Coast, West Coast, the time we spent in the Midwest was really interesting, the time down by the border. I I was absolutely fascinated with it. And I came back practically evangelical about the United States. You know, if, if I come back in another life, it will be working for the U.S. Tourist Board. If you bear in mind, the, the time of my visit was 2012, and back home in Scotland it had been announced uh, at the start of that year that there would be a referendum on Scottish independence. So as I was leaving Scotland, there was a lot of discussion about should Scotland break away from the rest of the UK? Could Scotland break away from the rest of the UK and survive as an independent nation? All these questions were starting to be discussed and asked. And I came over to the US with, with a lot of those ideas bouncing about my head and started talking to people about them. And it was really interesting because straight away, Americans got the idea 
of secession, whether it's from the uh, Act of Independence in terms of the, the US breaking away from Great Britain as it was then, or the secession of the southern states during the Civil War. It, it was a concept, and, and actually that immediately changed my, my language. Um, there was a lot of subjective language around that time about breaking away from the UK, but secession was a more mature term. US citizens that I spoke to got that concept and were very interested in it and exploring it and how it would work, and they were very open-minded up to a certain point, and that point was when you started talking about defence and national security. That helped me to understand the wider international context of what Scotland was going through. And that really helped me appreciate that the rest of the world was interested and it had a direct relevance to them and that there would be wider implications of a, a major constitutional change like that. So that was at that point in time, that was really interesting, and really helpful to me. But we did all these things that are just iconically associated with New York City. And in a lot of Europeans' mind, that is interchangeable with America as a whole. And then we flew out to the city, you know, in inverted commas, with, with 10,000 people in it. You know, a huge contrast, you know, culturally and, and in terms of scale and size. And I loved it. It was fantastic. That, that was one of the real moments of the trip for me. There's a strange kind of thing that happens if you come from Europe and you go over and you visit Manhattan because it's incredibly familiar. You know, you recognise the street layout, you recognise landmarks from shows like Friends and other elements of US culture, so it feels incredibly familiar, but at the same time you're there for the first time. If you go out beyond that, you get so much more, you learn so much more. So in the Midwest, we found people to be incredibly approachable. Um, they were quite happy to, to chat away. I found people in, whether it was in Harrison in Arkansas or Little Rock, people were really comfortable just chatting away and saying, were they a Republican, were they a Democrat? I went to a baseball game um, in Little Rock. And as a result, I would still say I'm still a fan and a follower of the Arkansas Travellers. But, you know, I, I sat down and I just started talking to some strangers and they were absolutely comfortable to say, yeah, I'm a Democrat, yeah, I'm a Republican. Whereas in the UK, you would metaphorically have to twist somebody's arm before they would say, yeah, I'm a Conservative or yeah, I voted Labour at the last election. Two things that struck me were respect and, and positivity. Respect in DC, that was probably the first time where I observed civilians going up to armed forces personnel who were in uniform and just saying, thank you for your service. I know we, we see a lot of stereotypes in life, but you know, the, the impression that can be projected that, you know, Americans can be a bit um, abrasive or not have an awful lot of time or patience. That was, that myth was, absolutely shot to pieces. You know, the, the old saying that in the US, 200 years is a long time, um, and in the UK, 200 miles is a long distance, but vice versa, it doesn't really apply. One really special moment for me was when we went to Little Rock in Arkansas, we visited the Central High School, and just thinking, wow, I can actually walk through a place where there has been recent history. You know, I mean, in Scotland, our history goes back hundreds, if not thousands of years. No offence intended, but we have castles that are older than, you know, large parts of the US as we know it today. And yet to be able to stand in the auditorium at Central High School 
and think this is where you'd have such a, a fundamental moment for the civil rights movement. Just It just blew my mind. And to, to think that some of the people involved in that were still going about Little Rock that today. Yeah, it was just incredibly profound. We got in, we got Fourth of July in uh, in San Francisco. I'm not going to lie to you, it felt slightly awkward being a, a British citizen, you know, and you're celebrating this uh, departure from my my my, my home country. <laughs> but it was all good. It was all good. I, I think I literally did leave a part of my heart in San Francisco. It blew me away as a city. A group of us hired some bikes. So we cycled out and cycled over the Golden Gate Bridge and then realised we didn't have time to, to get the ferry back. So we just cycle frantically back and, and get by across. But just the experiences and some of it wasn't quite what you expected. So I thought, hey, San Francisco is in California. It's sunny 365. Um, it's going to be nice and warm. And actually, because it's that bit further north and because it's by the sea as well, you know, we saw the fog come down. So we saw the fog across the bay. Just the, the ability to go and do some of these really kind of iconic things. I'm not always sure that Americans really appreciate the extent of the effect their culture has on the rest of the world. And just, you know, something like the Golden Gate Bridge is absolutely iconic. And here we were, merrily cycling across it on the way there, pedalling slightly harder on the way back because <laughs> we were running a little bit late, but that was fine. But yeah, just just so many things that you would have seen in movies or you would have seen in TV shows, and then you're actually there doing it. It was, it was fantastic. We, we spent some time in Tucson, Arizona, as I mentioned earlier, and we went down to Nogales and we rode with the Border Patrol, which was a really fascinating exercise in 2012. I can only imagine it's got even more fascinating in the intervening period. So we were in there in 2012, long before the political climate was at the level it is just now, before discussions about a wall being built or even a campaign by now President Trump. But still, you saw some of the, the tensions on the one hand the absolute commercial necessity and, 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 and primacy of the relationship between Mexico and the US, but then balancing that with the challenge of managing migration, you know, whether it's legal immigration or whether it's the, the, the passage of workers uh, and, and the support of the economic activity. That, that was just fascinating to watch and understand. And yet that was something that you could read about in a textbook. And it wouldn't really fit. It wasn't until we stood by the railroad and we saw carriage after carriage on the railroad of goods going back and forth. And we actually saw how people traverse the border on a daily basis for economic purposes and how the, the culture infused itself over the border. But yet you still had those distinctions. So that, that was hugely educational. And there was an article popped up in the Times of London on Nogales. And I was I was genuinely overjoyed because I was like, hey, I've been there. And I know what they're talking about, and I can identify with that absolutely. One of the one of the things that stayed with me most, and again, I make no apologies for returning there, but going back to to North Arkansas. And to Harrison City. So we only spent, I think we spent just over 24 hours there. 
spoke to so many really interesting people. We knew that we were going to be looking at historic race relations there. The State Department in our introductory packs had told us about how Harrison used to be a sundown town. And if you were of African-American origin, then it wasn't personally safe for you to be in the streets after dark. And some of us felt a little bit uncomfortable about this, but we were really interested. There was also the history in that area of, of groups like the KKK. And again, that made some of us feel a little bit challenged and took us out of our comfort zones, but we went down. But the people of Harrison were absolutely fantastic. Very brave in some respects in terms of talking about some of this stuff. We talked to the Race Relations Council. And ironically, on that council, uh, I, I met a guy who'd gone over to the States from Northern Ireland. He'd left the UK in what was essentially a civil war situation in Northern Ireland in the, the late 1970s and 80s. And it ended up in, in Harrison doing a lot of race relations work of a different type, of a different sort, but drawing on his Northern Irish experience of a Catholic versus Protestant community and taking that into to Harrison and making a real positive difference. And he was about the only guy who understood my accent. You know, I, I found I had to speak a lot slower. We spoke to some uh, high school students who, who, who gave us some really interesting ideas and feedback on their perception of race relations, which were much more modern than that, those of their parents, and just how they were almost educating upwards, you know, almost using kind of pester power to challenge some of the, the perceptions that their parents or their grandparents or other older members of their society and community had about race relations, which they could understand. And the ability of these young people to actually push and drive change upwards in their society still stays with me. That, 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 that was one of the best discussions that we had in the whole of the three weeks. These students, these young people from Harrison, they probably left the biggest impression on me because of what they were pushing and trying to achieve. And that, that's probably the light bulb moment when I, I can remember reflecting on that and thinking, wow, you know, this is just something I wouldn't have come across in any other situation. I'm so fortunate and so blessed to be able to, to share this experience and then the other part of that was, I need to take this back. I need to do something with this. I can't just come over here and spectate for three weeks and think, well, that was really nice. That was very interesting, you know. So I've I've, I've tried to take some of that stuff back and share that on, on the side of the pond. When I flew out, I thought I was a kind of glass half full kind of guy, you know, fairly optimistic. But just the can-do positivity of everyday Americans, especially as we got out from the kind of bigger conurbations, that was even more reinforced. People were bright, they were positive, they saw an opportunity rather than a threat or a challenge or a risk, and they stepped up and they met it. And I think that's probably the biggest change I took back. And I've tried to go ahead and incorporate that into my, my everyday work, my philosophy, my approach to life, call it what you want. But uh, and, and that's all based on the experiences that I had talking to so many different people in the United States who all still retain this optimism, this positivity that has served the nation so well. Two Thirty Three is produced by the Collaboratory, 
an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, Alistair Ross called in from the other side of the pond to reminisce about his participation in the International Visitors Leadership Program, or IVLP. For more about IVLP and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do that wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us anytime at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Special thanks this week to Alistair for his stories. I did the interview, thanks to the help of our fabulous intern Josiah Patterson, and edited this episode. Featured music was Talk to Me by Gustavo Crenanchi, Chinese Umbrellas Ragtime by The Piano Lady, Arkansas Holler by Larry Elgert's Orchestra, and Glowworm Evening Blues by Lobo Loco. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.